I'm going to start from, I'm going to do it in reverse, so start at the attacks. I don't want to start off with a, on a bad note. You can't so do a team announcement in reverse. You've got to start okay, with the okay, goal. Start, I'll, I'll do it normally. So in goal is da David De Gea. Oh, start again. Do it from the front, Josh. So actually, I'm going to surprise you and say that I think that team's pretty balanced and pretty fair on what we've seen so far this season. Jonathan, would you agree? No. No, which be mainly the goal game. All, all, all of it. No, all it's all, all City players, yeah. Is it time to give Granite Xhaka some praise? Quite, quite a change role this season, but he's impressed me when I've watched Arsenal this, this time, man. I think, I think he's had quite a lot of praise this season. I think, and he, I think he deserves it. I think, he's had years uh, of criticism, though, to be fair. Yeah, well, I think he deserves that as well. Jonathan, let's <laughs> pretend for a second that you're Tottenham's manager. The biggest game in the club's history, and you've got to pick your best front three. The Tottenham on there is your trusted assistant. Who, who, who are you going with as the as the front three for Tottenham? Who am I playing against? I knew you were going to ask me that. I don't, I don't make the script. I just you know I just read what's there. Yeah, so I'm sure that will go down well on socials between both fans. I don't even know where to begin with that. Jonathan, save the podcast, please. Yeah, I'm not sure I've ever uh, been quite so different from the uh, from the official team. They work hard, they fill in the gaps, they keep the ball moving. They're just sort of lubricants. Even though he's possibly the least individually talented of the four, he's the one who's necessary to keep everything moving harmoniously. Jonathan Wilson talking about lubrication. This is what we want. This is the podcast. Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by Josh from Who Scored and my hero, Jonathan Wilson. Hero and mentor, actually, after the chat that we've just had. Josh, going to be a struggle for you today, the window behind. That's going to cause... I know, yeah, I'm going to do a lot, of, uh, a lot of turning my head. Hang on, the chat we just had was about yeah. how I fall asleep at like 10 no, o'clock every night. That's, I, what I, that's what I want to be. That's what I, <laughs> that's what I aspire to be. A, fo a football guard who just falls asleep. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I want to be. I'd love to get to sleep early. I can't, it takes me hours to get to sleep, Jonathan. That, that's my absolute ambition and dream in life. Get Josh, earlier, then. Oh, that, that's another problem. There's, there's all kinds of problems, to be honest. The energy drink to my right as well is probably another issue with sleeping. But we're not here to talk about my weird sleeping patterns. We are here to talk about the Premier League weekend. And Josh, we're going to start with the Premier League team of the season so far, according to the Who Scored algorithm. Yeah, um, and just well, just before I start, I should say that there's actually there are actually loads of windows in front of me. So if you just see me oh. gazing off into the distance, and I can see another office in the in the distance. So oh, this is going to be. A if disaster. you see me gazing, it'll be because I'm distracted by other people. But yeah, uh, the Premier League team of this season so far. So we're starting goal. Um, Jordan Pickford uh, obviously wasn't called up. He's injured at the moment by England, but he's our he's our best rated goalkeeper this season, I think. He's just, especially in that, that game against Liverpool, he just proved how important he is He is for, uh, for Everton at the moment. Obviously, he had his rough patch last year, but it's come on strong again here. Uh, the back four, so there are a few, because the, the schedule has been so weird recently, it, it, that some of these might seem a bit strange, but um, Kieran Tripper is in at right back. No defenders created more goal-scoring chances than him. Uh, he's then joined by a Newcastle teammate, Fabian Shah. Uh, there was a lot of calls for Shah to be replaced, I think. I think a lot of people thought he was the weak link, but I actually think he's quite a good defender. Um, fitness problems, I guess, have have hurt him in the past. But yeah, he he's in there. And we've got Joachim Anderson from Crystal Palace. Uh, he's made the most clearances per game at 9.8, which is miles ahead of it, of anyone. Um, I think the next best is 6.7. So in the right place at the right time. Uh, and he's also second of outfield, second of outfielders for long balls per game. So not just hoofing it long, he's also picking a pass as well. Um, 
So yeah, that's Jochim Anderson is the second centre back, and then we've got Jao Cancelo at left back, just really picking up from where he left off last season. Yeah. Been a, been a great player, uh, and then we've got a midfield three of Hoiberg um, as the as the one sitting deepest. Only Fernandez and Kevin De Bruyne have made more accurate through ball, through balls than Hoiberg, which might be a bit of a surprise. He's made um, he's also got three goals and assists in in seven games this season. Again, a lot of people probably thought that he would be pushed out uh, by Conte, especially after that difficult start. Um, but he, he's actually performed very well for them um, in a team that hasn't performed that impressively, to be honest. Uh, then he's flanked either side by Joe, Joe Linton um, and Kevin De Bruyne. Obviously, Kevin De Bruyne has got six assists this season, already striking up a great, great relationship with Haaland. Uh, and Joe Linton, um, all action really, ranking very high for a lot of stats, uh, notably third in the whole league for dribbles completed. Um, he's been, obviously, we've mentioned it last season, but he's been a revelation. Uh, under Eddie Howe since he's been moved into that new position. Uh, and then we've got Martin Odegaard in front of those three. Again, it, taking the captain's armband on for Arsenal this season officially and and has really, really kicked on for them and, and it's just so so good to watch. And in front two of uh, Mitrovic and Haaland, obviously Haaland scored more goals and he scored more goals than 13 teams in the league this season with um, with his uh, incredible start. And then Mitrovic is, is second for goals behind Haaland. He scored impressively against Arsenal, Tottenham and Liverpool this season. Ranks first for aerial duels, one per game. He's added dribbles to his game as well. So, yeah, that's our Premier League team of the season so far. I can't think of anyone leaping out of me that, that perhaps should should be there, but then it also doesn't seem right that Fabian Cher and Joe Linton are in there. There hasn't really been any football for Montes, though. But... No, that's true. It was a real effort to kind of do my research for this. Kind of like... Oh, are they in the Premier League? I've forgotten that. Um, <laughs> it like there's been nothing, doesn't it? But yeah, I mean, that is interesting. The, the kind of because I, I sort of I thought particularly um, the I mean, the game at Brighton, Newcastle were pretty fortunate to get away with it. Uh, then was it Bournemouth, our last home game? Yeah, they, they, uh, yeah, one I can't remember yeah. anything. I mean, that, that's they had like 75% that's, possession, just couldn't, couldn't yeah. Break I mean, that's a game where I think by the end of the season it may not matter, but it's the sort of result that Newcastle would expect to be doing better than. And so since beating Forest on the opening day, they they, they, yeah, they played really well against City. I was at that game and, and they could easily have won that. And, and, and that was that was a really, really good performance. They're a bit unlucky to lose against Liverpool. So, so maybe maybe I'm being slightly harsh here, but that, that Brighton and the Bournemouth game, so I think, hmm, it's, not, it's not great given the optimism at the start of the season. Um but yeah, clearly individuals are doing very well. So tremendous. Well yeah. done. I'm still, I'm still trying to think of people that should be there. Trossard, one that that's popped into my head for Brighton, but then they haven't played football for about but, a year. But, and, but no, no Brighton players in there, given how good they've been. That's I guess that just shows what a good team they are. That no individuals yeah, standing out. The but, collective. Yeah. Yeah, well, we're, let's not pick that part of that team t- too long because who's called Dupay Jonathan. Let's move on to the Manchester <laughs> derby. It's Manchester City against Manchester United. And we're going to start by talking about Raphael Varane, Jonathan. I don't want to pick on Harry Maguire, but since Varane went in next to, to Martinez, Manchester United looks <coughs> a lot more solid. And he is, you know, if he can stay fit, he's a huge, huge asset and one of the best defenders in the world still. I think he was pretty disappointing last season. Um, but clearly... Him coming at the side has, has coincided with him getting better, and that's probably not coincidence. That I think Maguire in a back four, you you, you have questions about it. Um, I think that partnership of um, uh, Varane and Martinez works really really nicely. That uh, the, the, the you know he he can sit off 
and, and and his partner can be that much more aggressive, can can sort of go chasing the ball, and so that looks like a pairing that should work. Actually, far more than than Maguire with either of them. So, uh, I think you know when when he came in, I remember having this discussion: was the intention of him to play at the back of midfield? Um, given that it, it, he didn't seem a natural partner for for, for Maguire, well, Maguire's sort of has paid the price for that and he, they, that back four now looks pretty solid yeah, he's a classy operator Josh you're a Manchester United fan do you feel safer when Varane's in there next to Martinez yeah I, I don't want to get too ahead of myself so Jonathan and you've both said fitness is has been the main main concern especially last season I think he only started 20 league games and that just isn't a good enough return um, United need him to start way more than that if they're to to sort of challenge for that top those top, top four positions, I don't think it's any coincidence that he's they've won all five games that he started and they've lost all three that he hasn't. I think he's very important. I think even more. I think even more telling that um, Ten Hag has has been pretty much after every single game that he's played, he's specifically mentioned Varane's leadership qualities, uh, what what he's like and what he brings to the team. And I do think that if there wasn't any sort of dressing room politics or if it wouldn't create such a media media sort of storm, I do think that Ram would actually probably be Manchester United captain. I don't. Maguire obviously is the captain, but he's not playing. Fernandez then takes the armband sort of by by default, I guess, because he's done it before. But I do think that Ten Hag would probably want Varane to be his Manchester United captain. And I just think you see it on the pitch with the way he sort of organises the back four. He's very vocal, and I think the rest of the defence are sort of benefiting from that. And I sort of think the partnership of Martinez and Varane, it's sort of like a good cop, bad cop sort of combination. I think you've got Martinez who just sort of charges in very aggressive and you've got Varane who's a bit more stylish, a bit more a bit more elegant and easy on the eye. Doesn't He's sort of always in the right position rather than just sort of charging into tackles. Um, he knows when to sort of press, when to drop off, when to sort of orchestrate the back four. Um, so yeah, it's, it's great that he's, he's playing. And also we saw that, for, we've seen that for France in the international break as well. I think they won the game that he started uh, and they lost to Denmark, which he, he didn't play a part in and they sort of lost that sort of organisation at the back. Um, but yeah, happy that he's playing. I think we even saw that last season. He missed quite a lot of the games against the big six, so to speak. And he in those games where we were thumped by Man City and Liverpool, he didn't he didn't play in those games. So yeah, very important that Manchester United can try and keep him fit. And I think he was put on like an individual training programme during the summer with that in mind to try and prolong his fitness. Um, so, yeah, keeping him fit, very important for Manchester United this season. Yeah, you'll hope that he's lining up in the Manchester derby then with, with, with that statistic in mind. Josh, staying with you, Josh Ronaldo, does feel at some point like he's going to have to come back into the team. He can't just sit on the bench forever. This will be one where he sat on the bench surely because Manchester United will set up to play on the counter. Yeah, I mean, if if um, Rashford's back, then I'm pretty sure Ronaldo will be back on the bench. It's just, ten, ten, I think ten, ten Hag's handled the situation as best as he could. I don't think publicly he he could come out and say that like I don't want Ronaldo privately. I'm sure he would be he would have been very happy if Ronaldo moved on, but because no one actually wanted Ronaldo, he couldn't really he couldn't really come out and say that because if if nothing happened, then that's just a terrible situation to handle, and it's already really delicate as it, as it is. I think. Maybe like maybe Ronaldo is just playing catch up because he didn't have a proper preseason. So maybe that's part of the reason why he's looked so average really when he's played. I think he he's looked very hesitant in front of goal. Some of the chances that he has been given, he sort of dallied. The ball's been bouncing. He hasn't shown his typical ruthlessness. And and like he hasn't scored in the Premier League this season. The only goal he has scored was from the penalty spot in the Europa League. 
He's averaging more shots per, per 90 than anyone else in the league with 5.9, but he hasn't really looked close to, to really scoring apart from that penalty. And it, it is it is just a bit awkward, I find. I feel like all of Manchester United's best attacking play sort of develops around him. All the intricate plays that the likes of Sancho, Eriksen, Fernandez, and previously Rashford put together, it, it felt like they were all involved. But some of these moves, you just sort of see Ronaldo towards the penalty area, not really... Not, not really part of, of the process. And it just does seem a bit awkward. Um, he's already come off the bench five times in the Premier League this season, which is the most sub-appearances sub he's made since the 2005-06 Premier League season when he made 14, um, which at the age of 37, you'd say that's probably normal for him to be making so many appearances off the bench. But Ronaldo obviously isn't normal and he he won't be happy with that. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see, especially when Martial comes back in the picture when he finally is back back to full fitness. It'll be interesting to see where where Ronaldo is in the pecking order because currently he's second behind Rashford. Um, and I'd say Martial is a better better player than Rashford in that position. So yeah, it'll be it'll be it, the situation will only become more and more delicate. Yeah, no such problems for Manchester City, Jonathan. Haaland is undoubtedly the form number nine in the world at, at the moment. This feels like one of those games where Lissandro Martinez might end up looking quite small. Yeah, most people do alongside Haaland, but but yeah, that 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 is a potential issue. I think particularly given the United like to sit quite deep, then it'll be Haaland's aerial ability that will be key rather than his ability to, to run behind teams. Uh, and obviously, you know, one of his great strengths as a forward is that, that he's totally comfortable doing both. Um, so, so yeah, the, the sort of height thing has sort of gone away a bit the last month or so. But but you're right, this this is an issue where this is an area where where he may end up getting bullied. Yeah, and Jonathan Manchester City's midfield. There's still doubts long term over Gundogan and Bernardo Silva's future. There's murmurs now that Man City might be in for Jude Bellingham in, in the summer. If you're Jude Bellingham, what's the better move for you? Is it Manchester City or, or the assumed move that everyone's been assuming for the last year or so of, of Liverpool? Where would he fit in for Manchester City? I mean, I think if if one of those two, if Gundogan or Bernardo Silva leaves, then then there is a, you know, clearly a space in the squad from there. Um, you know, moving from Dortmund, there's... There's a sort of there's an obvious sort of emotional link between Dortmund and Liverpool. You know, sort of following the clock path, you could see how that that could work. Maybe you look at Liverpool now and think, yeah, is that project really at the absolute highest level still? It will it continue to be at that level? Well, you know, you know that City will will continue to be the you know the the wealthiest club in England. And well, okay, Newcastle are wealthier, but. Um, in terms of resources that they devote to football, the wealthiest club in England. And um, you know that as long as Guardiola's there, that they'll they'll be challenging for the title and challenging for the Champions League. I guess it depends whether he is more excited by the prospect of learning under Guardiola or learning under, under Klopp. And both of those are pretty exciting prospects. So he's in the great position. He can, he can probably take his pick between them. See what, and City will probably pay more money if that matters. Yeah. And Josh, you must stay awake every night thinking, oh God, Manchester United so close to getting getting him when he went to Dortmund. It sounds like there was a piece in the Athletic last week. It sounds like Manchester United did an awful lot to try and get him through the door. Absolutely need no chance of getting him now unless suddenly this Manchester United project catches fire and, and it looks like everything's in the right place. Very unlikely that Manchester United would be in as much as they'd probably like to be. Yeah, I think... Like you said, they thought they were very close. They pretty much rolled out the red the red carpet treatment for him. I think Bellingham actually um, he visited 
the United training training ground when he was at Birmingham and uh, United sort of brought in Eric Cantona, Brian Robson and Sir Alex Ferguson to try to try and sort of woo him to, to sign but he obviously made the decision to join Dortmund and you can't you can't fault that because he's playing regularly week in week out for a side that's in the Champions League and competing very high in the Bundesliga uh, now his stock is absolutely flying and obviously he'll be as we said last week on the England podcast there's going to be clamour for him to start every game at the World Cup so yeah, he made the right choice to go to Dortmund and now I think Manchester United are probably third favourite to sign him I, I would assume that Manchester City and Liverpool would be far more desirable from Bellingham than it would be a move to Manchester United and I do think I'm not actually sure that he leaves Dortmund next summer I, I wouldn't be surprised if he does another season there He's, he does seem very um, he he seems like very thankful to Dortmund and what they've provided for him. So I wouldn't be surprised if he does do another season, uh, like sort of Sancho had to do um, before he actually finally got his move to Manchester United. And yeah, and maybe in that time, Gundogan does. I think he's out of contract in the end of this season. Obviously, Bernardo Silva seems like he's linked with a move away every summer now at Manchester City. So if one of those do move on, I can certainly see Manchester City stepping up their interest. And obviously, Guardiola sort of spoke about him. Oh, had to answer questions about him after their game against Dortmund in the Champions League earlier this season, and he said, like he said, he's a great player. As he said, everyone already knows already knows that. But I do think, even though Gundogan and Bellingham are sort of different in the style, I do think they sort of carry out that that same role um, quite well. Obviously, Gundogan's a bit more of an elegant dribbler, whereas um, Bellingham uses his physique more to sort of power through and pass people. But I do I do see the similarities in the sort of the task that both of them carry out. So I, I would say that's a great fit. And obviously Liverpool are so desperate for a midfielder um, in that sort of left-sided eight role that I imagine they will go in for them. But I guess it's just the price for Liverpool. They haven't typically haven't spent, um, if it's 150 million, I think Dortmund are said to have want, to want for Bellingham. And Liverpool, they spent a lot to sign Darwin Nunez, um, but it doesn't really seem within their model to sort of spend so much money. But maybe that would change because the situation's so bad in their midfield area. Um, and Manchester City sort of broke that, didn't they? They but with the money they spent for Grealish previously, they didn't really spend too much money on individuals. But it does seem more of a Man City thing to do to to sort of to sign Bellingham. So I wouldn't be surprised if he does end up there. Personally, I hope he ends up at Manchester United. But as you said, I don't think they'll be at the top of his list of priorities when he does finally leave Dortmund. Well, let's look now at the combined 11. Half expecting some Newcastle players to pop up in here, even though it is the Manchester derby. 11, Josh, what have we got? I'm going to start from... I'm going to do it in reverse. So start at the attacks. I don't want to start off with a, on a bad note. Um, what, what, what does that mean? Well, you can't, start, you can't do a team announcement in reverse. You've got to start okay, with okay, the goal. I'll, I'll do it normally. So in goal is David De Gea. Oh, start again. Um, do it from the, do, 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 do the front, Josh. So De Gea is in goal, um, which might surprise people, obviously. I think this is the fact that Harland, um, Edison hasn't really had to do an awful lot. Um, perhaps hurts him here, but De Gea's rating is not very good, to be honest. Uh, then the back four. When I well, when I looked into this, I actually did wonder if any Manchester United players would get in. And there is three, which is perhaps a couple too many. But at right back, we've got Diego Dallo, who has undoubtedly improved this season under Ten Hag under a proper coach. Um, and I think that's a fair fair pick for this combined eleven because Walker's had a, a tough start to the season and Cancelo's played exclusively at, le- at left back. I think um, for City this season, the Premier League. So I think that's a fair a fair shout to be fair for Diego Dallo. Then Rafael Varane is one of the centre backs, um, as we said already, hugely important to, Ma- to Manchester United. And then it's Ruben Diaz and Jao Cancelo. So that's the only so Manchester United involvement finished now. And then it's Gundogan in midfield with Rodri and Kevin De Bruyne. And then Bernardo Silva, Haaland and Foden. 
So I don't like I would probably have Edison in myself personally. Um, well, I definitely would have Edison in personally. But apart from that, I think it's I think it's quite I think Dallow and Wren are fair fair inclusions. I'm going to surprise you. I actually think that's fair based on what I've seen this season. I think Edison's shot to goals ratio is, isn't brilliant so far this season. I think he's letting a lot of the shots on target that, that he's faced. So actually, I'm going to surprise you and say that I think that team's pretty balanced and pretty fair on what we've seen so far this season. Jonathan, would you agree? No. No, which bit? Mainly the goalkeeper. All, all, all of it. No, all I just have all, all City players, yeah. You, um, no, you well, you can't... Okay, okay, if you've got... If you've got um, a team that's made up of City players, largely City players, and playing in a City way, they're going to play with a high line and we need the goalkeeper to pass the ball. The hair can't pass the ball. Therefore, you've got to pick no. Edison. Even if Edison's letting shots in, you've still got to pick him because he, he, he's comfortable sweeping up behind that line. Walker has another great start. I'd still rather have him there than, than Delos. I think his pace can cover a lot of faults. And then, I mean, ideally, they'd have Laporte fit, but given he's not, I'd still rather have Stones and Varane because he's used to playing alongside Diaz. Okay, unfortunately, who score can't go by that by that ethos. They can purely go by the by the average ratings, I, I guess. So, I do understand. I understand what you're saying, Jonathan, and I understand yeah. what you what you were doing as as well, Josh. Okay, decent. They're both decent. Obviously, Jonathan's picked the Manchester City eleven. We already know <laughs> that's a that's a decent eleven. Let's get some score predictions then, Jonathan. Three one to City. Three one to City, Josh. Well, he's struggling. He, he wants to say something positive, doesn't he? Yeah, uh, two one to Man City. Two one to Man City. You know, I'm going. I'm going to go two two. I can see the being goals again. Manchester City have shown they can be got at this season, yeah. and if Manchester United you know, get the counter attack right with Eriksson's passing at range and, and things like that, I think they can go there and get a couple of goals. So I'm going to go for a two two. Manchester United are obviously much improved in the last month or so. It's now time for the just a minute section and the moment I've been waiting for probably absolutely nobody else. It's the return of the leaderboard. How have we got off at the start of this season, Josh? It's very, it's very, very close. Um, so Jonathan is leading currently on sixteen points, um, which I'm sure has made his entire entire. I thought season. I'd done a poll. Have I had any correct scores? I don't remember any correct scores. Uh, I think you've had one correct score, but you've got a fair few correct sort of outcomes. Um, whereas Dan, you're second with fifteen points. You've got the most correct scores. That's always the way. But sometimes, some always as as last season. But I think you, a couple of wild predictions have let you down yeah, on the outcomes front um, and then who scored a, a, a dead last again on 14 points so it's only so 16 points Jonathan 15 Dan and 14 who scored so very very close at the top at this very early stage of the season it's time more of a risk taker than anyone else yeah. in this game but well, that, what that, that means is I've predicted 14 out of 27 results correctly well done Jonathan you, you <laughs> winning oh, the league you. You do, you're doing very well and suddenly, you know, we, we care about this again when I was winning the entirety of last season. Everyone just gave up on it. No one, no one, nobody cared about it, in particular Martin. So I'm, hopefully, Josh, you're going to keep a better handle on it than Martin did. Yeah. Good. For sure. Excellent stuff then. Let's do the just a minute section then. Josh, you're going to go first and you've got the thrill ride that is Bournemouth v Brentford. The international break didn't come at a great time for, for Bournemouth as they were just starting to put a decent run of results together um, under interim manager Gary O'Neill. They've sort of responded brilliantly to a 9-0 defeat to Liverpool with draws against Wolves and Newcastle either side of a 3-2 win over Nottingham Forest. Uh, Lloyd Kelly missed their last game before the break through injury and O'Neill will be desperate to have him back, which I think he will. Um, Brentford disappointing last time out be comfortably bit comfortably beaten 3-0 by Arsenal uh, they only managed five shots in the whole game which is the lowest they've ever managed in a Premier League home game 
Um, so certainly need to get a better foothold on the game. Uh, Eve Antoni wasn't hasn't been the international break that he expected. Um, after a really positive start to the season, they sort of had to watch from the outside uh, for England's games. Um, and Keen Lewis Potter, sorry, he had to withdraw from England under 21 squad through injury, so they'll have to check on him closer closer to the weekend. Uh, Christian Norgard and Ethan Pinnock were already sidelined, so not too many injuries for Brentford. Um, Brentford haven't won away from home this season, and Bournemouth have proven difficult to beat um, under Gary O'Neill, so I'm going to go for a one all draw. I'm going to go 2 2 again. Jonathan? 2 1 to Brentford. 2-1 to Brentford. Brentford, the comeback kings so far this season, recovered a lot of points from behind. Next up, it's Jonathan, top of the league, Crystal Palace against Chelsea. That's Jonathan, top of the league, not Crystal Palace or Chelsea. Yeah, well, Palace are only two points off the relegation zone, which is odd given how well they seem to have played this season. Only four points behind Chelsea. But if you look at their fixtures in the first six games, in the six games they have played, they've already played four of a putative top seven if you count Newcastle plus the big six. Um, so you know, the only defeats have been to Arsenal and City, so no real shame in that. Um, and a good game in City, they could they could easily have won. Um, draws against Liverpool and Brentford and Newcastle. So you know, all of those, you'd say, positive results, even though they've only actually won one game. I think they probably are playing better than that. Having said that, I feel like I said this a lot last season, uh, that they were playing well without necessarily getting results. Uh, Chelsea lost the last two away games. Obviously, under Graham Potter this time, which should make a difference for them. Uh, Palace without a load of players. Uh, Nathan Ferguson may be the most significant to, to disappear over the international break. Doubts over Mondi, Conte and Pulisic for Chelsea. Chelsea won both these games last season, 3-0 at the bridge and 1-0 at Sellers Park. Uh, but I think it could be tight this time, 1-1. 1-1. I'm going to go to 1-0 Chelsea. Josh? 2-1 Chelsea for us. 2-1 to Chelsea. Next up, it's Metro Derby, Fulham v Newcastle. Joel Pelhina serves a one-match ban this weekend. He's the first player in the Premier League to reach five bookings, and I think that's going to be a massive miss for Fulham. He ranks second in, in all of Europe's top five leagues for tackles per game. Um, so not having him at the basement field is going to be a real real problem for Marco Silva's side. Uh, but at the top of the pitch, Mitrovic continued his flying start to the season. He's got a hat-trick for Serbia during the international break and will probably would like to prove a point against Newcastle, who didn't really... He wasn't really given a fair crack, I would say, in the Premier League under them. Um, Newcastle, they're actually sweating on the fitness of their own striker, Alexander Izek. He had to withdraw from the Sweden squad through injury. Um, and they're still waiting on St. Maximin and, and Bruno Gamarish to come back. Um, so, Gamarish is back. But he he said at the start of the international break that he would prefer to play in the number eight position. Um, but as John Joe Shelby is still going to miss out this weekend, he's probably going to have to settle for that number six role, which we've said in the past, does sort of limit his ability to impact the game. Um, Newcastle have drawn five of their first seven league games this season and are struggling to break teams down, as I said, that sort of defend deep. Uh, and with, But with the absence of Paulina, they should get more joy against Fulham. So I'm going to go for a 1-0 Newcastle win. I'm going to go 2-1 to Newcastle. Same as you, I think Paulina will be a huge miss for Fulham. They haven't really got anyone who can come in and do what he does. Jonathan? 1-1. 1-1. I think Gamarish might have withdraw withdrawn from the Brazil squad. This morning as well, we're recording on a Monday, so they could be sweating on his fitness as well. Jonathan, next up for you, it's Liverpool against Brighton and Herb Albion, and maybe a glimpse of Billy Gilmore. <laughs> well, let, let's hope so. We haven't had a glimpse of anybody for four weeks, either of these two teams, as with the first game that, that uh, they did. So that makes it yeah, slightly difficult to assess for them, although Liverpool did have that last-minute win against Ajax in the Champions League, which was very necessary in terms of sort of setting them up for the Champions League, but probably also in terms of in terms of morale. 
Um, Brighton four points above Liverpool going going into the game. Um, but this would be their first game under Roberto De Zerbi. So again, an, an, another unknown there. Um, De Zerbi clearly was the man they'd highlighted for a long time. They'd been monitoring, so I think you know, Brighton do that kind of thing well. So hopefully, from their point of view, you know, their good start won't be squandered by that. Their only defeat so far has come in the last away game, which is against Fulham. Uh, they're a little bit unlucky there. Moda and Lallana are out, and Wepu is a doubt. I think he's a big player for them. Uh, Liverpool have still only actually lost once in the league this season, despite all the grumbling over their form. Um, they have a long list of injuries, including Oxley chamberlain Keita, Kanate, uh, and Jones. Doubts over Henderson and Robertson. Um, 2 2 last season in this game, but I think Liverpool will have enough. 2 0. Yep, I'm going to go 3 1 to Liverpool. Josh? 2 0 Liverpool. 2 0 to Liverpool. Some not very tasty games this weekend. Josh, you Southampton v Everton. And I'll tell you what, Southampton last time out lost to one of the poorest Villa teams I've ever seen, so they should be ashamed of themselves. So, yeah, Southampton, not good against Everton. Lavia and Liveramento are still missing for Southampton. I think Lavia's absence is the real key one. They don't really have that natural number six um, anymore that sort of is happy to drop deep and connect the play from um, defensive midfield, especially as they obviously let uh, Romeo leave in the summer. So, I've seen them lose three of their last four. Now, as you said, the last one was against Aston Villa in that really poor, poor game. Um, Everton, though, they're they're sort of on the up. They picked up their first win of the season last time out uh, against West Ham. Um, players like James Tarkovsky and Connor Cody have really brought a real fighting spirit to, to Everton that they badly missed last season. Um, and even Asmir Begovic, he stepped up in Jordan Pickford's absence last last time out, and he was the who scored man of the match against West Ham. And he'll continue in goal this weekend, I think. I th- don't think Pickford's quite ready to come back. Uh, the only sour note, I guess, from the international break for them is that Nathan Patterson was stretched off for Scotland. Um, he has, he's been really impressive this season. It sort of begs the question why he didn't play last last year. He's especially in defence. He's been superb. And he's actually got the best tackle success rate in the in the Premier League this season. Um, so I don't think the injury is as bad as it was first feared that he suffered, but still probably not going to miss out here. Um, I think he's played every single minute for Everton this season. Um, Southampton have strangely won five of their last six home games against Everton, but. I'm going to go for a 1-0 Everton win this weekend. I think momentum's with the Toffees. Yeah, I'm going to go 2-1 to Everton. Jonathan? Yeah, 2-1 Everton. 2-1 to Everton. Martin Lawrence's ears pricking up with the tackle success rate being spoken about there. Josh, please don't explain what it is. We don't need that on the podcast ever again. Jonathan? Oh, God, another two two more drab teams so far this season. West Ham v Wolves. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely one to stay in for on Saturday evening. Don't, don't get yourself to the pub early <laughs> when this is on Saturday. Um, I think this is going to be very low scoring. Uh, West Ham have lost five or seven so far. They've only scored three goals this season. Uh, I think yeah, we talked about it before, but there is that concern. Does Moyes fit with the players they brought in over the summer? Four of them coming from French League plus Skamaka. They don't seem natural Moyes players. And there's sort of no sense at all of any sort of cohesion there. Uh, plus they've got the complication of the Europa Conference League, which adds to the fixture list. So, I think if I were a West Ham fan, I'd be starting to get a bit, bit twitchy after that Everton defeat. Um, Wolves um, have also only scored uh, three goals a season. only got two points more than West Ham. And in a team that doesn't score goals, uh, Jimenez and Kaladzic uh, are injured. David Costa may or may not be fit, but I mean, he's hardly played for a year. So you wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise you if he's not fit. Nathan Collins suspended for them. The Gwed and Johnson out for West Ham. Both these games were won 1-0 by the home team last season and I think I'll follow that pattern and say West Ham to win 1-0. I'm going to go 0-0. Don't often chuck a 0-0 in there. I very very seldom predict Wolves to score a goal. Josh? We've got 0-0 as well. 
Now, now, don't copy me. Because you didn't know I was going to say that, but you can't just then come in with a with a nil nil. Is that pre planned, or did you did you just decide that? No, no? I says it on my feet, on my screen in front of me. Nil nil. Okay. Fine. Okay, I'll give you that one. Uh, Leeds v Villa is your final one, Josh. Uh, this is Leeds's first game in basically a exactly a month, so it'll be difficult to sort of know what sort of shape they're in. Uh, the break probably came at quite a nice time for them. To be fair, they were winless across their last three, and were sort of starting to look like the walls of last season. Uh, very suspect at the back, conceding a lot of chances. Um, Rodrigo Junior Firpo might be back for this one, but uh, Stuart Dallas is still unavailable. Uh, as for Villa, the international break was pretty torrid for them. Um, Matty Cash is already injured, Diego Carlos is already unavailable, but it looks like Lucas D- Luca Dini, he, he suffered a stress, stress factor on his ankle, so he could be out for quite some time. And also, and also Bubakar Kamara uh, might not play again this year after doing his knee ligaments, so not great for, for Villa. Um, Defence is going to look very different, and obviously the person in front of them will have to be different as well. Um, Villa ran out comfortable winners at Ellen Road last time out. It was 3-0. Was that the game where um, Dan, where Callum Chambers turned into Messi? Got that, yeah. got that assist? Or barely, barely played since then, for some reason. Yeah. the bench ever since that day, but yeah, he did. But yeah, that, that was a pretty comfortable win for Villa. Um, and I'm going to go for another Villa, Villa win here, but 2-1. Bloody hell, Josh, I wasn't expecting that. I'm going to go for 1-1. Villa are very defensive at the moment. I think Villa will go there and sit very, very deep. Jonathan? Leads to win 2-1. It's all nice mix. Nice mix across the predictions there. And Jonathan, you're going to finish with the East Midlands derby to arguably a relegation six-pointer here. Leicester v Forest. I don't think there's any argument about it. I think this is a relegation six-pointer. Clash of the bottom two. Uh, both of them had okay starts on the opening day and both of them have uh, got worse since then. So Leicester's only point came on that opening weekend against Brentford. Uh, but even that was a bit frustrating, given they were 2-0 up and only drew 2-2. Their big problem is defensively letting 22 goals in seven games, which includes 11 in the last two. Uh, that inability to defend corners has now been compounded by well, an inability to defend anything. Uh, all kinds of problems. So players want to leave. I think the manager wants to leave. I, I don't think it's a secret that there's been talks uh, between the, the board and Rogers about possibly negotiating a payoff. Um, Forest won on the opening day. It's only one they've had. They've, they've, only when they've had, they've uh, had four straight defeats, conceded 14 goals in that time. So this this could be high scoring. Forest have six players out, or doubtful, but given that you could very hard to say what a starting them would be for them, that might not matter too much. Burton and Pereira are both out for Leicester. Doubts over Dakin and Didi. And I'm going to say Leicester will get their first win of the season 2 1. I've gone for Forest to win 3 2. Yeah, I'm gonna go, I was going to go wild. I'm going to go for a wild 4 2. To Nottingham Forest, Leicester can't defend. I think. I think. Roger. I think Forest signed another player during the international break as well. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be a week in in twenty twenty two. Forest didn't sign a player. Yeah. So still just signing more players and Why more not? winning. So yeah. Yeah. No, they'll win four two to Nottingham yeah. Forest. Three two for me. That big big scores. What did you go for again, Jonathan? Leicester win. Uh, Leicester to win two one. Yeah. Let's look now at the North London derby. It's Arsenal against Tottenham Hotspur. And Jonathan, is it time to give Granite Xhaka some praise? Quite quite a change role this season, but he's impressed me when I've watched Arsenal this this time. I think, I think he's had quite a lot of praise this season. I think, and he, I think he deserves it. I think he's had years uh, of criticism, though. To be fair, yeah. Well, I think he deserves that as well. Um, I mean, yeah, you're allowed to criticise someone when they're playing badly, and then when they start playing well, say they're playing well without you being the one who's at fault. No, um, you're not. Social media rules. <laughs> well, yeah. Bad, that is it. You're never allowed to say anything else about them. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you, you're right about his changing role. I, I think that's that's made the difference, that he's somebody who 
you know, starting deep and driving forward is something he's very good at. So if you're playing that 4-2-3-1 with one more attacking player and you have a holder, be that party, be it Lekonga alongside him, I think he, he, he revels in that, not, not quite having the same level of, of responsibility. Um, in, you know, in some ways, I think not similar to something like Paul Pogba, that he, he needs to start deep and drive forward rather than you know, either receiving the ball with his back to goal, which I don't think anybody thought Xhaka could do, or being being that that sort of Xabi Alonso style holder who just sort of sits there and dictates the play. That's that's not his game. So you know he has a partner who who works well with him. The confidence is is coming back, and um, yeah, he's he's playing very very well. The positional change sort of reminds me of what Ralph Rangnick did with Fred. Sort of freed him of those defensive responsibilities and gave him a bit more license to get further forward. And I think we sort of seen that with with Granite Jacker as well this season. I just sort of looked into like some stats to see what's changed with him um and for context he's created 14 goal scoring chances in seven league games this season uh in 2020-21 he created 17 in 31 games and in 1920 he created 16 in 31 games so this season he's already almost managed the same as those tallies in seven games so we're definitely seeing a more a more creative side of Xhaka, someone that's been given the license to get forward. Um, and he's also got three assists already this season, which is more than he managed in five of his previous six league campaigns for Arsenal as well. So it's definitely been for the benefit of the team. I thought at the start of the season, after they sort of made all their summer signings, that Xhaka looked still to be a weak point for Arsenal. But Arteta has, to his credit, he's, he's changed it and has sort of reduced that sort of weakness Um yeah, so been very impressive this season, to be fair to him. Poor Granny Jacker, everyone is getting prized. You're comparing him to the Ralph Rangnick version of Fred. <laughs> is, is that prize? I'm not sure, but everyone is getting prized. <laughs> to to, to lumbering him with that seems very, very harsh. Jonathan, let's pretend for a second that you're Tottenham's manager. It's the biggest game in the club's history, and you've got to pick your best front three for Tottenham. I'm there as your trusted assistant. Who, who, who are you going with as the, as the front three for Tottenham? Who am I playing against? I knew you were going to ask me that. I don't make the script. I just, you know, I just read what's there. But who are you playing? Okay, let's say you're playing. I did. Okay, I I, 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 let me challenge the basis of the question. I don't think yeah. first choice front. Yeah, you know, first choices don't matter because everything's contingent. So Tottenham's great strength is they got four exceptionally good forwards, and you can perm three from them according to fitness, form, the opposition, the context. Um, you know, this season you would say that that probably on form you wouldn't pick Son but then he goes and scores a hat-trick in the last half hour of his last game so that's a that's not a problem to have four players who are playing really well and with whom you only really want to pick three that's a strength so I, I just don't I just don't think this idea I mean if your question is who do I think will play on Saturday yes that's turned to question yeah I mean that's a much harder question a much better question <laughs> I don't <laughs> know <laughs> uh, well okay Given Sinchenko probably won't be there again, so you've got Tierney there, you maybe think that there's a bit of an opportunity to, to, to get behind him. So you maybe you then say play with Charleston on the right. Son's pace against White on the right. I think White's done really well this season, but maybe not the quickest on the turn. And that means Kulisevsky's a man who misses out. Yeah, That, I would say, is non-ideal because Kulisevsky seems to be the sort of the... This is a term I only learned on Friday... The swarm harmonizer. Oh no, never uh, heard that. I don't know what that means. Yeah, so uh, I heard it in relation to. Do, do, do you watch cricket ever? Nope. Yep. Well, Sam Sam Cohen regularly gets picked for England, and it's not. 
it's not obviously about what he does because he's not particularly quick. Uh, he swings it a bit, but not excessively. Um, he he bats fine, but not brilliantly. And yet, successive coaches seem to love him. And apparently, the reason is is he's seen as a, and the stats show he's a swarm harmonizer. That when he's there, everybody else plays a bit better. Now, I don't know whether that's to do with personality, whether it's to do with you know he does everything quite well, so he fills in gaps, which allows you to let other people play a more natural game. But I, I think in I never, I was never really aware of that concept in cricket. In football, absolutely, I mean, you're aware of it that you have people like Alan Bogosian who went to the World Cup because he was a good bloke. Pepe Reina, towards the end of his career, went to tournaments for Spain because he was a good bloke. Kind of but also on, possibly, yeah. But also on the pitch, you get players who they don't do anything flashy, but they work hard. They fill in the gaps. They keep the ball moving. They're just sort of lubricants. Um, where did I start this? What was I talking about? Kulisevsky. I think maybe the swarm harmonizer of that Tottenham front three. It may be that um, even though he's possibly the least individually talented of the four, he's the one who's necessary to keep everything moving harmoniously. Jonathan Wilson talking about lubrication. This is what we want. This is the podcast that, that we want. Josh, I actually think Richarlison will suit this game because he's a bit of a wind-up merchant. A, a, a derby yeah. game, a big game like this does. Feel, I mean, he'll undoubtedly get booked, put all the money in the world on him getting a yellow card. But Richarlison does feel well suited to this game. Yeah, this is. I think this is the. If Tottenham fans were a bit sort of unsure of, of Richarlison for for whatever reason, I think this is the sort of game where they'll really love to learn to love him. I think he's perfect. He's perfect for these derby games. He loves playing the pantomime villain. He doesn't mind winding up opposition players and fans. Um, and that's what Tottenham fans would love to see. He might score the winning goal, he might get sent off, but we'll just have to see. But I just do think that this season, it just does seem incredibly harsh on Kulovsky that he has yeah. been the one more often than not to drop out. I think his impact in the team last, when he joined in January, was just so incredible. I think he's, he fit in so perfectly and so so seamlessly. And in 2022, um, in terms of most goal contributions, Kane has played a direct hand in more goals than any other player in, in the Premier League. Son is third and Kulisewski's fifth, so it it does just feel harsh that he he's been the one to drop out instead of Son. Um, obviously Son did drop out last time and then he scored a hat trick. So you would expect typically it would be Kane and Kane and Son are the undisputed first two, and then it's sort of between Kulisewski and Richarlison. Um, I personally prefer Kulisewski. I just love the precision of his play. Um, I just think that he sort of seems to think a few steps ahead of, of everyone else, whereas with Richarlison it just seemed a bit off the cuff. Um, dribbling with the ball and in hope, hoping, sort of a bit harsh, hoping for the best. He knows what he's doing, but that's just the sort of impression I get between the two. Um, but yeah, maybe, maybe this is a, this, like we said, the derby is is the game for Richarlison to start, and maybe that's where that's what um, Conte will go with, who obviously is quite a fiery character himself. Jonathan, is this game going to be a good barometer of who's going to finish higher? Who who would you think is going to finish higher? I know Arsenal are higher at the moment, but if you had to put money on it, who would you say will end the season on top at the moment? I'd probably still go Spurs, but it's really tight. And and mm. I mean, uh, Arsenal won the first derby last season pretty comfortably, and they end up collapsing late in the season and finishing behind Tottenham. So, look, clearly, it will give some indication, and clearly, the points matter. But so it's 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 not definitive, but but yeah, it's it's an important game for both sides, obviously. It's- it's too tight to call, isn't it, Josh? I'm, I'm, I went with Spurs initially at the start of the season, but I've been really impressed with Arsenal so far this campaign. Have you had to choose? Yeah, like with you, I thought 
I think Tottenham have finished higher than Arsenal every season since the 2015-16 season. I thought that would probably be the case again this this time. I thought Tottenham had an excellent window, um, and also it was Conte's first pre-season with them, and I thought they would come out the trap firing to be honest. And they've been really unimpressive. Um, whereas with Arsenal, they've been really impressive. But it's it's weird that there's only a point separating the two teams when you sort of think about how each side has played. You'd have thought Arsenal would be miles ahead of Tottenham in that respect. Um, but but then I still think you sh- you have to edge it to Tottenham. I just think the Conte factor, Kane and Son, I think that's such a good formula for them to sort of break into that to that top four. And as we saw, the the naivety that Arteta showed against Manchester United in the substitutions that he made, what well, the timings of those substitutions, maybe they'll, that will happen again a couple more times a season and be quite costly. Um, so yeah, I would probably possibly lean to Tottenham. Um, you'd expect them to come good at some stage in the season. It's not sustainable to play or to start games so poorly. Um, they've been, both teams really, to be fair, have been quite fortunate in terms of having quite affordable opening runs of games. I think Tottenham's hardest game was Chelsea, which they were lucky to draw. Um, and Arsenal's toughest game was Manchester United, which they which they lost. So sooner or later, if Tottenham keep playing this way, they're going to get, get turned over, I would suspect. But you'd expect surely... Uh, it's not going to continue under Conte. It doesn't seem seem like that would be the case. But yeah, I'd probably edge it to Tottenham come uh, May when the season finishes. Well, who comes out on top of the combined 11 stakes, Josh? Ooh, what a question. Great segue. So it's a difficult this one with, in terms of formations because obviously Tottenham wedded to that back three and Arsenal play a back four. So we ended up going with a, a 4 2 3 1. Um, which Conte is probably already ripping this up in his head. But we've got Hugo Lloris in goal. I don't want to say it, but Emerson Royale is at right back. Um, what? Just because he he does he does make a lot of tackles, even though he's not great defensively, um, but he does get forward, even though he's not very good at that either. Whereas Ben White is pretty, um, he's more of an insurance ticket, I would say, in that sort of back, back four. And then we've got Christian Romero as one of the centre-backs and Davison Sanchez as the other one, which again is a bit strange because Sanchez only really plays when Romero doesn't play. Um, so we've got them both playing together. Uh, and then Zinchenko's at left back. We haven't taken injuries into account for this one. It's just the, the best the best players for each team. Uh, and then we've got Benson Kerr and Hoiberg as the central midfielders. Um, and then we've got Martinelli, Odegaard and Saka and Jesus up front. So we've got no Kane, no Son, no Richarlison, no Kuliseski. Um Yeah, so I'm sure that will go down well on socials between both fans. I don't even know where to begin with that. Jonathan, save the podcast, please. Yeah, I'm not sure I've ever uh, been quite so different from the uh, from the official team. Uh, even though I went with the same shape, um, and I did take injuries into account uh, because that's how we yeah. used to do it, and nobody's told <laughs> yeah. me any different. So I went Luis in goal, uh, White at right back, Saliba and Dyer as the two centre backs. I'd I'd rather have in the back three, but you know. Um, I would have had Zinchenko, but he's not fit, so Tierney. Then I think Party is going to be fit again this weekend, isn't he? Or there's at least a chance he gets back. Uh, so him and Hoiberg. Then Odegaard uh, is the more attacking central midfielder. And then the forward line is really, really difficult. Mm. So I, I put Kane in there just because I think he's he's the best forward. Uh, but I didn't want to leave out Jesus. So I've got Jesus on one flank and Richarlison on the other, and they can sort of switch about between them. Um but that seems very harsh on Martinelli, on 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 Kulisevsky, on on a on on Son even after last weekend. Um, 
But yeah, Jesus Kane, Richarlison's my front three. The good news is as well, we did a segment on Granny Jacker and he doesn't make it into either team. I think if I, <laughs> you know, I think I think if I did a team, I think mine would be completely different to both of yours as well. I think it would be completely different. It's, it's difficult to to do, isn't it? There's a lot of very good players. There's a lot of form players there at the moment. Yeah, especially in those those forward positions, it, it's so tough. Um, you can yeah, make forwards, a case. You can yeah, make a case for all of them. Yeah, really difficult then. Let's finish this segment then with our score predictions. Josh, I'll come to you first. Uh, we've gone for 2 all for this game. 2 all, Jonathan? 2-1 to Arsenal. 2-1 to Arsenal. I don't know what to do here. I'll go 2 all as well. I think 2 all. It's not being me now, is it, Dan? Yeah, it seems, a, it seems a safe bet. It does seem a safe bet too. too. There'll, there'll be goals in this game. Look, Arsenal will probably go ahead because Spurs can't seem to defend in the in the opening period of games, but they've got too much firepower to not score. So, yeah, I think 2-2 two, two as well. Josh, we're going to finish with the under-21s team of the season so far. I've no idea why we're doing this, but let's do it. Yeah, well, I thought we'd start with the Premier League team of the season. I thought this try and shine some light on some of the youngsters that are coming through and sort of playing well so far. So yeah, that was the thinking to sort of bookend the podcast with that. Because our, um, com- our, so our 11s have been so good so far in this show as well. Yeah. Makes sense to throw another one, one in there as well. This one's, this one's, I think this is, this is a good one. Um, although it's off to a bad start because I cannot remember what Southampton's goalie's called. Bazuna. Bazuna, that's it. He he's the he's the goalkeeper. He kicks. If you it can't off. remember what he's called. What what if you've got to, if you've got to announce the best under twenty one seventeen? What have you wrote uh, down? If you can't the Irish that? lad. Yeah, <laughs> you just wrote down Southampton. I, I do this straight off the straight off the head then, but I just forgot the goalie. Using, we're not using the ratings. Yeah, using the ratings, but I don't. Oh, but, oh you don't write down the team. No, just, just pure okay. preparation. I imagine we've got some terms and actually not true. Over the, over the no, last no, six months. I always get them right. I make sure the information's always right. But yeah, I just forgot his name. Um, and then, so it's a four, what formation is it? It's four, three, three. And we've got Nathan Patton at right back, as I said, tackle success. No, 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 you've just said you don't <laughs> write anything down. And then you've said, what formation is it? Look down and then gone four, four, three, three, whatever it was you said. I have, I have um, uh, like just small pointers. So four, three, threes are in down just so I know the formation. <laughs> Um, what would you write so, down so Nathan Paxton, he's he's the right back. As I said earlier in the show, he's got the best tackle success rate in in the Premier League. Um, this hope that his injury is not not bad because he has been great for Everton this season. Uh, then the two centre backs, we've got uh, Williams Saliba, made a great start to life at Arsenal. I think he's really benefited from that loan spell in Marseille to come back stronger. And then a centre back that I've been really impressed with this season is um, Bella Kochap. I'm not sure if that's Bella how you pronounce Kocha. his name. The Bella Southampton Kocha. defender. Uh, he actually has been rewarded with his first call up to the German German squad, and obviously they're stacked in defence. So that's obviously a real, um, a real sort of uh, acknowledgement of his of his skills so far this season. Then we've got Nico Williams, who I've put in at left back because he can play there, uh, even though he has played on the right for Nottingham Forest. And then the midfield three, Harvey Elliott, um, he's been one of very few positives for Liverpool this season. Uh, and then we've got him, we've got Onana next to him from Everton. So Merseyside midfield at the moment. I think he's been really impressive. I don't think he's been particularly good on the ball, but I think what he's bought is real defensive steel in front of Everton's defence. And he's absolutely massive as well. Mm. Every time I watch Everton play, I'm just surprised by how tall he is. And that's coming from someone that's also six foot four. Um, and then we've got Moises Salcedo from Brighton. So next season, it could actually be an all Merseyside midfield if Liverpool do end up going for him. Um, and then the front three is uh, Bakaya Saka, Gabriel Martinelli. And then this was the... the the tricky one there's not been a player age 21 or under that's been playing up front particularly well uh, but we've got brennan Ar- arson from 
uh, Leeds sort of pushed into that central position. But yeah, that's the young team. I think some good young players there that I think have been playing very well. Yeah, some players who were younger than I thought they were as well, Jonathan. Yeah, Moise Caicedo, I, I saw in the opening weekend of the season for Brighton at Old Trafford and I'm really, really impressed by him. Yeah. He's a player who I didn't, I didn't you know, he'd played eight games, I think, for Brighton before. But be, you know, he's a regular for Ecuador now. So I think he's one of two Premier League players who could end up playing on, on the Sunday, final Sunday of the Premier League before the break and then playing in the first game of the World Cup seven days later. So purposeist opinion from Brighton as well, the two Ecuadorians. Uh, Non-ideal, I'd say. No, good knowledge though, Jonathan. Good, yeah, you know, it's almost like I looked up for a piece over the weekend. Yeah, he knows the schedule, doesn't he? Let's go then. That's it for this week's podcast. Apologies for some of the 11s that have gone out today. I mean, if anyone watches the podcast again, I'll be absolutely amazed after what we put put out there today. But thanks for watching. And if you are enjoying it, it's enjoy it's enjoyable and fun at the very least. And please do subscribe with your post notifications on. We will be back next week to preview the Premier League action as normal. Have a good rest of the week. Enjoy all the football at the weekend. Stay safe. Mm-hmm.